0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen welcome and thanks for tuning in to the two fit podcast hosted by the two fit guys jake and josh now two fit by definition is actively pursuing a state of health and well-being beyond perceived limitations so if you are looking to push the boundaries of performance mentally physically and everywhere in between then you have come to the right place on the 2FIT podcast, we will be interviewing and having fireside chats with renowned experts from doctors and strength and conditioning coaches to athletes and entrepreneurs. Our goal is to extract tools and tricks of the trade that you can implement, whether you're a world class athlete, weekend warrior, entrepreneur, or grinding out the 8 to 5, all in order to assist you on your journey to becoming 2FIT. Hey everybody, it's another episode of the 2Fit Podcast. And Jake and I have really been looking forward to this one for a while uh, because this is a tool we really love and use and recommend to a lot of people. So if you're ever wondering, you know, are you overtrained? Are you kind of sluggish? Your workout's not going well? You're just not recovering and you don't know why? Jason Moore from Elite HRV is here to join us to explain what HRV is and how you can use it to predict your recovery, manage your workouts and kind of get the best from your body. So Jason, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, guys. I appreciate uh, you guys having me on the show, and I'm glad we were able to connect over Twitter, and turns out we're from the same state, so nice uh, little (laughs) overlap there.
2: (laughs) The power of social media. That's right, keeping it in Texas. Yeah, thanks for joining, man. Hope you're you're ready. We're about to run you through the ringers, so hope you're prepared. We got about 2,003 questions here, so...
1: (laughs) Nice. So, I'm, uh, yeah, it sounds good. Uh, fire away, and if it gets too challenging, I'll just pretend like my connection <laughs> dropped. It's and, and <laughs> always a good out. Well, yeah, let's just start. Let's start pretty
2: general, kind of what Josh was saying there. Explain to people what exactly is our HRV and what what do you use it for?
1: Sure. So, heart rate variability, in a nutshell, is kind of the change in time between each of your heartbeats and so like what does that mean Um, most people are familiar with measuring heart rate Uh, 60 beats per minute uh, would sound like it would be one beat per second right Uh, a heart rate of 60 beats per minute but in reality uh, especially at rest um, your heart rate is fluctuating constantly between each beat. So uh, a beat might be 0.9 seconds, 1.1 seconds, 1.2. They all kind of average out maybe to 60 beats per minute, which is a number of people would be familiar with. But we actually uh, look at those tiny changes that are actually millisecond changes uh, between each beat. And what that tells you if you run certain calculations on those changes, is the state of your nervous system, um, which is basically integrated with the entire body, and you can start to kind of pick out what's going on underneath the surface that is causing those uh, tiny variations in heart rate. So heart rate variability is a little bit deeper than just heart rate, and it requires a little bit more uh, technical calculations and accurate hardware to use.
0: So, what are what are some of the main reasons? A couple of the bullet points that people would want to test their heart rate variability on a daily basis.
1: Sure. So, um, I mean, heart rate variability has been in use for you know probably fifty years or so, and uh, Olympic athletes have been using it out in uh, Eastern Bloc countries for for about that long. And it's been being uh, measured in hospitals and in kind of emergency health situations for a long time. Um, But those all kind of required uh, a big budget EKG or ECG machine, um, which the price has come down on those in recent years, too, which they're in the thousands still. Um, But somebody could get a consumer grade heart rate monitor now, like a a Polar chest strap or a Garmin chest strap, and measure this daily, like you mentioned. So to get to your uh, question, originally when we put the app out about two and a half years ago, most people who are interested in measuring were kind of participating in some kind of uh, competition like triathlon or marathon. A lot of endurance athletes pick it up because uh, let's face it, endurance sports are expensive, and the numbers really matter. So um, they're trying to get an idea on a daily and weekly basis of how their training is actually affecting their body systemically. So heart rate variability looks at the big picture of the state of your body. And if you're into fitness, you can see the effects of exercise, um, both in the short term, like uh You know how yesterday's exercise affect you and in kind of the longer term getting into like okay well how how about the training for my week how did the week affect me cumulatively or how is my eight-week training program affecting me uh, for the whole eight weeks so you can start to really get a picture of how um, these training plans are truly affecting you and then A big component of that is recovery, which we can talk about. But uh, to kind of round out that question, we actually over the years have a lot of people measuring it for other reasons besides fitness now. And I would actually say that about half of our users are uh, health-focused now and not uh, training-focused. So we still, I mean, we have a pretty large user base, um, but they're about half fitness and performance and then the other half health and kind of Recovery focus.
2: Well, let's let's dive into that aspect a little bit because when you think of HRV, and I know me and Josh love it because we're kind of we we view ourselves as a hard, the hard charging athlete type. You know, we're we're working out a couple times a day, we're lifting as well as training for our Ironman, and that's kind of. It seems like that is who is is using HRV right to, basically adapt their training schedule according to how well their, their nervous system is doing, how well they're recovering, et cetera, et cetera. And you're talking about these other people using it for their health and fitness, so or, or just, you know, overall health in general. So what what are they using that for exactly? And I mean is it for people who, you know, aren't prone
1: to overtraining? Uh, yes, exactly. So the overtraining example is kind of the classic use of heart rate variability. It's the it's the easiest to really understand because it's pretty straightforward. Um, Most people think if you train a lot, uh, that's better. And in in a lot of cases, that's true. But you get to a certain point pretty quickly where um, pulling back a little bit and being smarter with your training uh, really gets you better long-term results. So that's like you said, you guys picked up on it from that perspective and a lot of the original athletes that have picked up on it um, were coming from that ballpark. So on the flip side though, Since I mentioned that heart rate variability is an indication of the nervous system, um, it specifically looks at the autonomic nervous system with the calculations that we run in our platform. And um, the autonomic nervous system is the system that basically is in charge of all the automatic processes in the body, um, or it's at least involved in all of them. And uh, you've got two branches of that, which... You know, interrupt me if I'm spending too much time on the science, but um, basically you've got your sympathetic branch, which is your fight or flight branch, and your parasympathetic branch, which is your rest and digest. So these are the two branches of the autonomic nervous system that are most relevant for this discussion. And they're constantly kind of working together and sometimes against each other to have your body in the, in the appropriate state for whatever you're doing at any given moment. So if you are uh, exercising, for example, you want strong sympathetic activation because you want to mobilize uh, blood glucose and uh, get you want to halt digestion and things that can wait till later so that you can focus all of your body's resources on performing. And then on the flip side, you want to, when you're at rest, you want to have digestion be operating smoothly. You want your heart rate to come down and you want blood glucose to go back to uh, resting or lower levels uh, so that you're not just kind of like bur- unnecessarily um, burning the rocket fuel, so to speak, uh, when you're just trying to recover. And so uh, the reason why all that's important is because. Uh, you, it's obviously important for fitness, but for the on the other side, we have folks like uh, we have people that are managing chronic pain, uh, and we have people that are managing uh, recovery from traumatic injury. There's a clinic out in Hawaii that is it's the largest uh, physical rehab clinic in Hawaii, and they're they're monitoring people who have had traumatic work-related injury. And are trying to get healthy enough to just go back to work. And in a lot of cases, they have a manual labor type job. And um, they're they're getting to the point now where uh, they're able to predict almost a year out who's going to be fit to work uh, just by monitoring their heart rate variability and a few other contextual pieces of information for a couple of weeks. Um, and so on the on the very high end you have people who have high heart rate variability, which means they have a lot of heart rate variability and those typically those people are typically athletes people who are pretty healthy for the most part and fo- focused on performance people with really uh, sorry Jason
0: ahead? to interrupt you there would that mean that the athletes with a high HRV that their bodies are kind of optimally flexible between the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system so that their body finds that homeostasis more efficiently?
1: Yes, exactly. And so there's obviously exceptions to that. I mean, you could have somebody who has a lot of uh, health issues but are, are very aerobically fit. And aerobic fitness correlates highly with heart rate variability. So. Um, I just want to put that caveat out there that just because you have a high heart rate variability doesn't mean you're completely healthy, especially if you're very aerobically fit. Um, But for the most part, that is true. Um, A higher heart rate variability is correlated with better resilience and flexibility of the system. So just like you said, uh, one of the most important processes in the body is maintaining a stable internal environment. And that's often called homeostasis. Um, And so uh, exactly like you said, if something like a stressor or exercise arises, people with higher heart rate variability can activate that sympathetic branch, perform well, and then turn it off generally uh, afterwards and start those recovery processes sooner and also get more... uh, Uh, a stronger recovery um, activation.
0: The HRV clearly gives you a reading. How can you use that to then train your body to be more flexible between the different systems? And then how is the body becoming more flexible? So for instance, the people that are doing the studies in Hawaii, if they can predict a year out, what are they doing between the readings now and a year out to get
1: them more resilient? Sure. So there's that's the interesting thing about heart rate variability is it kind of integrates all of the pieces together. But in, in a void, it actually doesn't tell you what specifically will be the solution for you, so to speak. Does that make sense? So um, what this comes down to is essentially there's a few main categories that people could focus on, uh, nutrition. Sleep, uh, you know, going outside and getting vitamin D, uh, proper movement quality and, and, and enough exercise. Um, there are psychological factors like uh, relationships, workload. Um, the list kind of goes on. So there's all of these things actually contribute to your total uh, systemic health and your total ability to perform. And what heart rate variability will tell you is, is something wrong or not, (laughs) right? And so for you, though, it might be nutrition. For me, it might be sleep. For one of these folks who's got work-related injury, they might have depression because they're scared about whether or not they're going to get back to their job. And so um, there are many aspects to improving your systemic resiliency and flexibility. And for different people, the, uh, the focus could be different. Uh, that being said, most people could do with better sleep and better nutrition right out of the gate. Um, so those are two big ones. And those two can also help provide um, a nice platform for addressing other more complex and less straightforward issues like psychological issues, um, and yeah, movement quality and things can sometimes be complex. But, uh, so does that answer your question? Do you want me to dive in deeper on any of that? I think that definitely answers it. I would also ask
0: what are some of the maybe easy adjustments people could make to increase their HRV and resilience? Cause I've read a lot about different breathing exercises, meditation mindfulness can really build up that resilience and you i know you even have a breathing exercise built into the app that people can use and you kind of follow the circle for the breath work and that can help increase your hrv
2: yeah i would say you can probably you know ice baths and cold exposure too Mm -hmm. is great for your your nervous system so
0: yeah did you have anything that you kind of recommend for people on on simple simple tweaks
1: definitely so it's uh, you guys mentioned a few of them. Um, honestly, these are actually there's a lot of overlap between small tweaks that can increase your res- resiliency and what's termed active recovery techniques. Um, so uh, going on a walk every day, outside, preferably in the sunlight, um, can have huge benefit to your systemic kind of state. Um, I mean, I don't have to go into the details of that, but getting vitamin D uh, levels up naturally from sunlight and also just moving and having time to decompress uh, are huge benefits from going on a walk. I, I walk 20 to 30 minutes at least a day um, outside, and I try to do that early in the morning and in the evening If I can, make 15 minutes each, maybe. Um, If you can get out and do it in the middle of the day, that's great, too. Uh, But the reason why, especially that morning walk is really nice is because circadian rhythm is really important for recovery and um, just resilience in general. So um, getting out in the morning and getting some early sunlight exposure helps your circadian rhythm stay in a natural pattern so that uh, cortisol levels and things throughout the day are, are staying within the ranges that they need to be so that at night you can get a good quality sleep and you can go to bed without issues and stuff like that. And that makes a huge difference for me, um, and that's a pretty simple uh, thing to do and i also spend a lot of time on the computer so for me getting outside and just walking around is a a great change and gets my uh my body out of that nasty position that it gets in kind of like a gollum like position <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh so anyways that's one um you guys mentioned uh like hot cold therapy um, so taking cold showers or a cold bath or even hot showers or sauna, um, hot, hot submersion as well. Um, those are good techniques for activating the different branches of the nervous system. And, um, and those also help with kind of that quick flipping between um, the two branches, as you mentioned before, like being able to turn on one branch, turn on the other and kind of flip back and forth. Doing uh, a contrast shower where you do cold for a couple of minutes or uh, and then a hot for, you know, 30 seconds to a couple of minutes and switching back and forth a few times. Um, that can actually help train your body to uh, activate each branch a little bit. And uh, that's a pretty easy task to do. And then, Uh, some more traditional active recovery techniques Uh, like I mentioned uh, just doing mobility exercises on a daily basis trying to uh, get the lymphatic system pumping and just moving your body in different ranges of motion Uh, and also it doesn't have to be intense to get uh, a lot of good benefit out of that so Uh, an athlete who does active recovery would be familiar with these, but um, basically doing some concentric exercises like, um, you know, uphill lunges is like a classic example, but uh, basically the concentric portion is usually when you're lifting against gravity and eccentric is where you're lowering a weight uh, resisting gravity as it is lowered. So, um, that lowering of a weight, like in the squat on a way down, that's eccentric, and that uh, causes a little bit more strain on the body. And concentric, coming back up, when you're really contracting those muscles, um, that really helps with moving the lymphatic system, which is your waste removal system, and uh, it also causes less damage to the muscles. So not only is it great for recovery uh you know stimulating blood flow and things but it's also just good generally to uh do that frequently because it doesn't cause a lot of damage and it gets things moving um so i think i i kind of rambled on on a few topics there um no, that was good yeah i okay. would say
2: i'm i know i'm pretty good about getting my walks in you know probably close to to 40 minutes to an hour a day however most of the time is is I'm walking my dogs, and sometimes they can stress me out more than anything, and uh, <laughs> it kind of takes all the benefits out of that walk. But kind of on, on that note, what are what are a handful of things that you see most often
1: that will destroy your HRV score? Definitely, sleep um, is kind of a universal. If uh, you know, if you're in a really good place and you've been sleeping well for a long time, and you're getting you know nine hours of perfectly sound sleep in a dark room and all that then missing a night of sleep you'll probably notice it more than other people but it it won't it won't really you know take you to the bank so to speak but um, for a lot of people who don't get optimal sleep on a daily basis uh, missing a night of sleep can really really affect your recovery and just your ability to perform um Mm -hmm. And so it's, a, it's hugely important to prioritize sleep. Uh, I'm the type of person that when I get going working on something, um, I can just get in the zone and kind of like wake up hours later like, where, where, where am I? No, so um, <laughs> I work on the computer a lot, and I have to set an alarm that after a certain point in the evening, I just have to turn the computer off and realize that it can wait for tomorrow. And, and a lot of people could benefit from doing that for the same with their phone or with the TV and with uh, similar stimulating things like that Um, because you don't realize it when you're in the situation, but in a lot of cases over time uh, with poor sleep quality, uh, that really kills your HRV and your systemic resilience and your ability to uh, adapt to change and so, yeah, I just wanted to harp on the importance of sleep for a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I find that just as an example, I took a, a break from high-intensity exercise for a while. Uh, I mentioned to you guys before we started recording that I travel a lot, so sometimes it's hard to get access to uh, weights and things that are good for high-intensity training. So this, this month I've been in Denver, and I've actually been – going to a CrossFit gym, which I haven't had done in a long time. Um, and just me being me and having a, a history of trying to perform at a higher level, um, I wanted to just dive right into it. So the first week I went like four days, um, and my HRV was just all over the place. And uh, I was like, okay, so I took a look at my week. What, what, is, what was I not doing? And I realized, okay, okay. I had been letting my computer time creep a little later and later, and I was still trying to get up at a a reasonably early time, so my sleep wasn't quite where I wanted, and I didn't even really notice that I had been doing that because prior to that I wasn't really working out uh, that hard. So instead of reducing the CrossFit, I made a really concerted effort to increase my sleep quality and duration. And the following week, I was able to go five days in a row, and I felt great. My energy was good, uh, and my sleep was spot on, and my HRV just showed it like it barely fluctuated much for the level of training that I was doing after having that much time off. And uh, as you guys are probably aware, um, and people in your audience are probably aware, CrossFit definitely challenges all parts of the system. (laughs) a nice way to put it (laughs) yeah and so um yeah it was it was neat to see that um and i used my hrv data and kind of also some subjective measures of like how do i feel how am i performing uh to to gauge that so uh, sleep big one um nutrition is more of a cumulative thing unless you have a like Uh, acute sensitivity of some sort so like um, you know if you're measuring HRV and you're celiac and you eat pizza and measure it before and after you'll probably see a pretty drastic change in a short period of time but um, but for most people nutrition is kind of a cumulative thing so uh, you don't see immediate changes in HRV from day to day unless you're able to like completely eliminate uh, an offending food and then reintroduce it, kind of in a me- in a measured way. So,
0: and Jason, I've read that you can test food sensitivities with HRV.
1: Yes. So there's uh there's a heart rate test called the Coca test, which is Dr. Coca invented it a while a couple decades ago, and basically he says that. Um, measure your heart rate before eating and it's important to kind of take into account like your body position affects heart rate a lot Um, so if you're sitting down in the first measurement then you need to make sure to uh, sit down for the subsequent ones but then you eat and then you measure your heart rate a few times like right after eating Thirty minutes after, an hour after, I can't remember the exact intervals that he recommended for his test, but um, essentially uh, a few times over the next two hours after eating. And if your heart rate goes up above sixteen beats, so if it increases sixteen beats or more, then you are likely exposing yourself to some food that's not happy or your system is not happy with and. Um, Heart rate variability can kind of take that a step further because it's a little bit more sensitive than just heart rate. And so um, small changes in the system can actually drastically affect heart rate variability in acute measurements like that. And so there's uh, Dr. Alessandro Ferretti, who is in uh, the UK. Um, He is... He researches heart rate variability, but he's a nutritionist by background, and uh, he does all sorts of crazy experimentation. You guys can look him up; um, really neat guy. Uh, but he recommends basically starting an open reading, which is a type of reading we have in our in our app. Uh, that reading just lets you measure forever. So he starts an open reading about ten minutes before eating, and then he just lets it run through the whole meal and after the meal for a while. I, I, I uh, don't know exactly how long he does, but I would recommend uh, up to an hour after eating. Um, and then, you know, obviously you're not going to, like, sit perfectly still for that whole hour, so kind of just keep an eye on, you know, if you stand up and walk around, yes, you're definitely going to see a drop in heart rate variability when you do that um, and an increase in heart rate but for the periods at which you're uh, able to sit down and just kind of be quiet for a moment, um, have, a, have a check and see, is your heart rate still abnormally elevated? Is HRV depressed at all? Um, but what this kind of comes down to and to refine the, the COCA recommendation is that each person sort of responds differently to these types of things. So... The, the power is that you can easily kind of create your own little trend. So do this test over the course of a few meals and see if one meal stands out as being different than the others and then say, okay, what did I eat in that meal that was different? Or, um, you know, if you wanted to get a really um, controlled study on yourself, then you could, if you have like a, a, a go-to meal that you always eat, Uh, measure that meal like five times with all the same ingredients and that'll kind of give you a baseline for what your normal change is when you eat because heart rate variability will change just because you're eating so if you do the test just once you know you may just be seeing a normal change in heart rate variability due to eating Mm. Um, so that kind of comes back to our whole philosophy of, of how we recommend people measuring heart rate variability to begin with, which is uh, try to measure, uh, you know, a few times and to find out what's normal for you. And then after that, you get a better understanding of when something changes.
2: Yeah, I've definitely noticed changes before in just my heart rate alone after eating certain foods. I mean, that, I mean, it's called the meat sweats for a reason, too. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyhow, it's sticking on these lines of of these other implications and uh, indications for HRV. I know you mentioned earlier; it's almost like a snippet of an EKG. And so, people at home can can this indicate things like you know AFib, Vfib, myocardial infarction, that sort of a thing.
1: So that's an interesting question. Um, the heart rate monitor. So to to dive in. On the EKG or ECG, uh, you know, when you're hooked up, you've got the, the zigzaggy line that is the QRS complex, which measures the, the contraction of your heart and the different, uh, you know, the wave of the contraction, so to speak. And the chest strap, like a Polar or a Garmin, it really just looks for the peak, which is called the R peak, of that contraction which is the biggest part of the contraction um, that is picked up by the device and so you don't get the entire pattern of the contraction but you do get the exact time between each contraction and so there are certain arrhythmia features that you can detect from that time and um, but it won't show you like uh, if if you're seeing... It, um, so, let's see how to put this. If you were to look at the raw data coming in from the chest strap, you would not see that zigzaggy line like you do on an EKG um, because you're only receiving the point, the top point of each beat. Um, but we're actually working with... Uh, this is <laughs> first first public announcement of this, so we'll see... Um, wow. No, it's... it's we're on It's interesting. A- <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> no problem. It's, a, it's kind of a recent uh, development, but uh, we were reached out to by um, a really phenomenal guy um, from the West Coast that uh, does arrhythmia detection research, and he's able to isolate uh, atrial fibrillation um, and certain other types of arrhythmia just from what we call these RR intervals, And um, so he is helping us to uh, look at the possibility of adding that into our system so that people who are just taking heart rate or HIV readings, we could warn them if they're having irregular heartbeats. Um, And like I mentioned, you can't detect all types of abnormal heartbeats or ectopic beats, um, but you can detect certain ones. And then to your question about Uh, heart attack detection and things like that Um, heart rate variability that was one of the original uses for it in hospital setting was to predict uh, myocardial infarction and other uh, cardiac events Um, but they're measuring on a much longer term basis usually so uh, it doesn't predict like the exact time, so it's not going to say, "Oh, you're going to have a heart attack in 15 seconds." Uh, maybe well, one day. It, be prepared. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, maybe if it was 15 seconds away, it could probably uh, yeah. warn you. But but it won't say like tomorrow at three, you're going to have a heart attack. Um, so, um, <laughs> but it, but what it will do is it'll basically tell you, okay, if you're monitoring. Uh, you might see like a, a drastic drop in heart rate variability that's inexplicable and, it, and it'll stay low. Um, you know, we don't recommend necessarily using our smartphone app for this purpose, but um, that's what hospitals do. But they basically say like, holy cow, something really wrong is going on in the system. And just given other contexts, like perhaps that the patient is already in the hospital because they've had previous cardiac events, um, then they're able to say, okay, we're predicting that there's a very high likelihood of a cardiac event in the next 24 hours. Mm. And, um, so they're able to take kind of preemptive measures, uh, to make sure that, you know, the situation is prepared for. Um, so yes, there, you can get very, um, emergency situation analysis with it. Like I mentioned, I, I don't, I don't yet recommend uh, our app to, be, to serve that need um, particularly. But if you do have a, a giant drop in HRV inexplicably <clears throat> and you're confident that you're wearing your chest strap correctly, um, <laughs> then you know, that might be something to check out, especially if you have like a history of, with stuff like that. Sure. So just right now, Elite HRV
2: is not going to save me on my my hospital bills or having to get my, you know, chest shaved for an EKG or
1: anything like that? (laughs) Uh, Well, not specifically. We've actually had people, though, um, who their heart rate variability reading has uh, predicted them getting sick before the onset of symptoms. And so we've had that anecdote many times from users who woke up this morning you know, my, nothing really changed. I didn't really exercise any different recently, and my sleep was the same. Um, but my my HRV was just in the tank, and I don't I don't know what's wrong. Um, so, you know, in some cases, a one off reading, your body just happened to experience something uh, that it didn't like, and it was just firing up to battle with that, and it it may not matter really. You don't have to change your plans or anything. So that that can happen, but in many cases what happens is then the person will go to work and then they'll, they'll message later on and say oh yep so I started throwing up around lunchtime, um, and yeah I was just I've been sick for like two days after that and uh, so they didn't have any symptoms or necessarily feel sick when they woke up but heart rate variability was already detecting it and uh, you know in that case in the future, they might be able to uh, take some preemptive measures, take some activated charcoal or some uh, apple cider vinegar or whatever the home remedy of choice is. Um, but, yeah, it's an interesting use of the system as well. It's uh, it's definitely concerning when you suddenly
0: see a, a low number um, that's that's out of the norm.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, to both the yells point with that is um, – like I mentioned earlier, a low score it doesn't tell you exactly what's up, but it can start to it can give you an early warning sign that you need to be like paying attention or maybe use some other context to find out what's wrong and granted, you can't predict when you're going to get sick I mean even if your HIV drops for a couple days and you're like i don't know what's wrong you're not going to like rush to the hospital unless you're really concerned. Um, it just kind of gives
0: you a nice little checklist, doesn't it, to go, hey, you know, I've been sleeping eight hours a night. Uh, diet's been great. And then you go, well,
1: something's got to be off. And just exactly. kind of uh, elimination. But. And either way, um, even if you don't know specifically what's going to happen, you can always take steps to boost your body's resiliency in general, which kind of comes back to what we were originally talking about, which is – uh, make sure not to skip that walk or make sure to uh, not sacrifice sleep to stay up to watch an extra episode of whatever. You know, if, if your HIV is down and you don't know why, it's definitely a good time to prioritize those recovery techniques. So, Jason, I've read a lot of work and studies
0: done on vagus nerve tone. And how working on this deep diaphragmatic breathing can increase this vagal nerve tone and this traffic in the vagus nerve, and how that can actually relate to improving patients with depression because the vagus nerve runs from the stomach to the brain, and in turn how it can also have very high anti-inflammatory effects naturally in the body. Right. What's your take on kind of increasing this vagus nerve tone? I mean, one study I read where increasing this tone can decrease um, serum levels of various inflammatory cytokines and reduction in C-reactive protein. I think that's just really interesting to have such a simple method such as deep breathing practice can have so many healthy effects on the body.
1: Yeah, this is a really interesting area of heart rate variability. So the vagus nerve is um, it plays a huge role in respiratory sinus arrhythmia. Um, and there's, there's something called the baroreflex, which uh, basically your arteries and uh, blood vessels have baroreceptors in them, which detect blood pressure and then uh, affect the heart rate based on increases and decreases in blood pressure. Um, and then respiratory sinus arrhythmia is where, like, your breathing affects heart rate as well. Typically, when you inhale, your heart rate increases, and when you exhale, your heart rate decreases. Most people don't even know that that's happening, of course, um, because, like I mentioned, uh, the changes are pretty small and usually imperceptible unless you have a, something like a chest strap that's showing you that this is going on. Um, and so all of these systems are connected Um, And like you mentioned, if you change your breathing pattern, you can actually change your heart rate, which is a a really interesting concept because heart rate, how do you affect heart rate aside from doing jumping jacks? You know, you're going to increase your heart rate, right? But if you're just sitting still and you're able to use something like breath, which is under your control, to then alter a system like your heart, which is Typically seen of as out of your control, um, you're able to make some interesting changes in the body by doing that. And so the heart in turn is also connected to the rest of your nervous system. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, digestion and, and other activities are tied to that. So uh, by breathing in a slow, diaphragmatic uh, pace, so basically Expanding the abdomen and really using your diaphragm, uh, you can kind of change which branches of the nervous system are activated more strongly. Uh, a, A really strong exhale actually activates the parasympathetic a little bit more, and a really strong inhale actually activates the sympathetic. A little bit more. So, when we talk about deep breathing, people often focus on that inhale. Um, Like, take a deep breath, you know, it's like inhale a bunch, right? Um, But that's actually uh, a little bit opposite of what uh, people should be focusing on most of the time when they're being told to take a deep breath. Um, Because we're pretty good at inhaling Uh, a lot of people are not very good at exhaling especially not fully exhaling and as I mentioned the exhale is when that parasympathetic activation happens which is that rest and digest and recovery activation so really focusing on a longer smoother exhale uh, can be more beneficial in activating those recovery systems um, in theory improving digestion and blood glucose, and things like that. Um, and, and also just relieving tension from the system. If you, if you look at yoga practices, uh, especially like Korean yoga, uh, they'll, they'll tell you to exhale like through your fingertips or exhale through a specific part of the body where you're trying to relieve tension. Um, and and that just kind of adds like a mindfulness aspect to it but um, so yeah I, I kind of went through a lot of very random stuff there but um, as far as inhaling and exhaling goes one thing that uh, uh, it's definitely a healthy practice um, to sit down and try to uh, kind of slow your breathing pace down really focus on that exhale and they There's a concept called resonant breathing that is basically finding the optimal number of breaths per minute that really balances your nervous system. Um, And they say that it uh, aligns your brain and your heart and your nervous system to all be kind of working pretty harmoniously together. Um, And there's some kind of like, you know, woo-woo kind of... uh, talk around that, but but there's really interesting data behind it too, if you're measuring heart rate variability. uh, When you start to slow down your breathing patterns and doing these long exhales, you should see heart rate variability almost immediately start to rise. And um, you know, in some cases like a 10% increase in heart rate variability just by changing your breathing patterns. And,
0: um, and Jason, would that be something like sitting down and doing a five seconds in, a five seconds out very consciously? Is that the type of breathing you're referencing?
1: Yes, exactly. And so like in our app, like you mentioned, we have a little guided breathing uh, visual tool that uh, you can start at a certain speed, maybe eight breaths per minute, um, and then work your way down to slower speeds like six to five breaths per minute um and the slower you go generally there's a threshold obviously you don't want to breathe one breath per minute but um the slower you get with it the the better uh, balance and strength that you'll have between those branches and um the the thing though that's important to me that i think to get across to people when you talk about these breathing exercises is It's really great if you're able to do these for, like, five minutes a day. So with or without the app. The app helps because it gives you feedback to let you know, like, you know, which pace is actually increasing your HRV the most. So, um, you know, in theory, that's balancing and strengthening the nervous system the best um, for you. Uh, But you don't have to use the app to get a benefit out of slow breathing. And then the other thing is... uh, the most important part of it, in my opinion, is learning the pattern that works for you and then integrating it into your life. And so the, the main one that I tell people, the main time that I tell people is if you commute like driving, you know, at least 10 minutes or so to work or to school or wherever, then that's like a great time to practice breathing as long as you don't get too extreme and pass out. Um, so uh, when you're in the car uh, it's a a little bit stressful it's an unnatural situation to be in uh, and you're not really doing much else besides driving Um, and so that's a good way to start integrating breathing practices into kind of normal daily routine Um, and you can even measure HRV if you want on your commute measure the effects of your commute use that open reading and then do your commute with breathing exercises in it and see the difference in your hrv on your commute Um, so that's a powerful exercise and obviously uh, commuting is not the only way you can do it but uh, the other piece of that is that live biofeedback there's a lot of controversy around it because in the moment it's definitely activating systems and you know causing uh, balancing and strengthening of things, and it's definitely got uh, a lot of psychological benefits as well. Uh, but there's controversy on, like, saying, "Okay, well, if I do five minutes of breathing a day, you know, is my health really changing in the long run, or is it really even affecting my recovery from exercise?" Um, and so, five minutes a day—I don't know—it's debatable, but. That that's we're relating it back to uh, the morning HIV readings, uh, which I which I guess we didn't really talk about the importance of doing it in the morning. To
2: your point there about driving and commuting, nothing nothing tests my patience more than traffic. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, that's the truth. I can be a witness Especially, to that. Yeah, moving to the city here in Fort Worth, I was I was not made for this. But <laughs> it, it seems like everything in this world is on a bell curve. What is the bell curve with HRV? Is there such thing as too high of an HRV score?
1: Uh, no. I mean, there's not, I, if your heart's all over the place erratic, then, uh, you know... <laughs> I'm sure there is too high, uh, but in most cases, for practical practical purposes, no, there's not uh, a negative to being having a too high of HRV, barring like a, a an acute health issue or a significant health um, problem. But it's kind of actually, I'll relate it back to you guys' show, the two two fit guys, right? <laughs> um, so being fit is by nature of definition kind of a relative term because you could be fit for combat or you could be fit for um you know crossfit or you could be fit for life or fit for having children or something like that right so there depending on what you're trying to be fit for there's there's not really uh there's not really such a thing as being too fit for a specific thing. Um, and I understand where you guys are coming from with too fit guys. Like, <laughs> but uh, but uh, bringing it back around to heart rate variability, um, there's not necessarily uh, such a thing as having too good of a heart rate variability. But there are aspects of having a high heart rate variability that you can do too much of. Um, and I think this is kind of similar to the too fit Uh, aspect that you're going for here is that you could definitely um, spend too much time working on fitness in the traditional sense like exercise Um, and the same goes for heart rate variability like aerobic fitness levels are correlated with uh, heart rate variability um, meaning that if you're more aerobically fit you have generally higher heart rate variability but becoming more aerobically fit doesn't really eliminate that you're eating pizza every day you know or something like that Um, so you can use aerobic or endurance sports as a way of increasing your heart rate variability uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting any healthier and over the long term especially as you get older um, that could really come back to bite you and um, so Yeah, I mean, running eight hours a day, seven days a week for years on end with no breaks, that's a really extreme example. But that could increase your heart rate variability quite a bit. Um, But it could definitely come back and uh, negatively impact your health. Um, I like
2: that. You brought that full circle there. (laughs) That's good. That's good.
0: So, Jason, we've really covered a lot of the nitty-gritty on HRV. Uh, what it is and how you can boost your HRV, what hinders it. But let's walk people through the app. If I could selfishly just use my kind of routine with it, and maybe you could point out what's wrong with my routine or maybe how I could make it even better. Sure, yeah, definitely. It's my understanding. You want to do the reading in the morning around the same time in the same conditions, right? Right. And so I'll wake up, I'll I'll put on my uh, polar uh, heart rate strap, and then I'll open the app, and I'll always do the, uh, the morning reading, right? So you have a button there that's morning reading. I typically do that about the same time every day. It's usually around 6.30 or 7 a.m. And I normally do it just sitting down either on my patio or inside. It takes five minutes. And I try to have those same conditions every day. I mean, that's it. Maybe in the evening I'll do a breathing exercise on it, or I'll do some box breathing or alternate nasal breathing before I go to bed am I going about that the right way doing it the same time every morning in the same conditions?
1: Definitely. And yeah, I mean, you, you cover a lot of the main points. The one is, you know, the chest strap, uh, it's a good idea to moisten it. So, um, you know, moisture, especially with, uh, well, anyways, I won't get into that, but basically (laughs) to, to, (laughs) to get a good signal, um, it's a good idea to moisten the chest strap, so I just run mine under the sink or just uh, throw some water from my hand under under it once it's on to get the good signal. Um, I'm seeing and then, some more,
2: more creative ways that that being done. <laughs> we
1: were, <laughs> yeah.
0: Might not uh, want to highlight on the show. but <laughs> So then you open the app. It gives you the reading, and then you're prompted to kind of put in the details. And those details, um, you have tags in there. So you'll have swimming or biking or exercise, training, uh, guided breathing. There's a host of things that you can include from what you did the day before. And so I'll often, it has a section for separate notes, but I'll tag strength work or running, um, guided breathing, you name it. And then in the notes, I might put biking on hills or, you know, whatever was specific to that day. And then you also have a, a tab for advanced sleep data, which you can put in what time you went to bed and what time you woke up. And so you can see this average correlating from your HRV to your hours of sleep. Like we've touched on a lot so far in the show. And then you save, right? And you get to your final screen, which shows your morning readiness. And it has a scale from your sympathetic on the far left, to your parasympathetic on the far right. And it'll give you a number. um, And you typically want to be ideally in the green. Um, It'll show your HRV score and your average heart rate for that reading.
1: Yes, and so you know whether you prefer writing a journal or putting it into the app, um, you know it's it's really important to have context. And so, like you mentioned, you wake up each morning, you do this reading in the same, generally the same way. I don't, you don't have to get neurotic about it. The m- most important thing is the body position and like the time of day, right? So. Um, don't drink coffee before the reading or, or don't drink anything except water uh, before the reading. Um, and then if, if, you, if you are sitting, I just wanted to kind of go over the whole process real quick. So if you, if you are sitting, uh, try to have the same back angle. So, um, you know, if you're leaning forward one day and leaning back the next, that actually could affect the reading. So just um, try to find something that's consistent for you. But the exact position doesn't really matter that much as long as you repeat it and as long as it's uh, maintainable for the five minutes. Like you said, you can do like one to five minutes on the morning readiness. So if you're going to do a five-minute reading, just make sure that by the end of that, you're not like straining your back to keep the position. So um, there's I've, that aspect. Go I have ahead.
0: noticed it is it is fairly touchy in that way because I've tested where I've done it on the patio in the morning, kind of with the sun. Coming in, I've done it inside, kind of still in the dark. Um, I've done it while meditating. I've done it while reading um, an app on my phone or something. And it really will change the levels depending on what activity you're doing, even if you are sitting down, as well as like that breathing pattern. So if I'm doing it when I'm meditating, I'll typically get a better reading than if I'm doing it while I'm reading a book even. Can you touch on that a little bit and why, why it varies, even though I'm kind of in a relaxed state?
1: Yeah, and so kind of like we were mentioning in the food sensitivity discussion is that heart rate variability is very sensitive. Um, your body is uh, just constantly tweaking things to maintain homeostasis, and the heart is at the center of all of it. So uh, yeah, like you mentioned, uh, you know, you could be sitting in the same exact position, um, you know, playing uh, a game on your phone or you could be doing guided breathing in the same position, holding your phone even. Um, and the two will give you probably drastically different um, HRV scores. And uh, just because your body primes different resources for those two different activities. In fact, there's a lot of research now on heart rate variability and video gaming and the stress that that causes for people. Interesting. Um, because the mental emotional uh, side of it Um, There's a lot of performance, mental performance involved in video gaming. Um, And so not to get too far off on that, but it's a good illustration of how um, even psychological stress can have physiological manifestations. And yes, those manifestations do affect your your body's recovery or, um, you know, digestion and things like that. Um, So... Yeah, that's a very important point. Um, it's important for the morning reading to kind of do it the same way each time to eliminate those variables. And that's why we do the morning also, because uh, generally when you wake up, you're in the most similar state than you would be at any other time of the day to previous days. Right. So if you waited till the afternoon to do your uh, readiness calculations, then you might have. You know, had an argument with somebody right before, or you might have uh, exercised that you know right before or something, and really change the status of that reading. So we do the morning. Um, those those tiny changes that happen um, are important. But then the nice thing about that, really, the power of having an app in general is that if you're able to take readings over a long period of time, so like one reading each morning for, like, like you said, uh, you've, you've been taking them for, like, two years now, is that you really have a lot of data to work off of to see, like, what your normal state is, how you've improved or regressed over time. Um, whereas previously, and high-performance organizations that ha- were using this uh, with EKG machines, they weren't able to get readings that often. Because you may have one EKG machine for 20 people, on, and they have to come into the gym to get that reading. So um, the data that they're able to use was just so much more sparse. Um, so it's really powerful to, to take those daily readings. And then, like you mentioned, the app actually learns what your pattern looks like, which we call your, your baseline and then after you've established a baseline, it'll actually tell you when you're kind of out of balance for you. It's very individualized, and it, looks, it compares you to you over time. Um, so it's, it's very actionable, and it gives you a nice score and kind of something to work off of. So,
0: Jason, based on your algorithms in Elite HRV, what, what would you consider a high score? What are some of the highest scores you see? And then what are some of the lower scores you see? Because I know that there are a couple different apps on different platforms, and I think they all have different algorithms. And I know one may read that, you know, 90 would be a great score, whereas another one maybe 70 is a great store, score. So on your platform, what would you consider a, a very resilient HRV score?
1: Definitely. So our average HRV score is 60. So um, if you're curious what the average is for the total population and our – if you are interested in our demographics, we have um, mostly male, ages thirty or like upper twenties to mid forties, um, and so that and probably a lot of them are into exercise. Um, but so the average is sixty. The upper scores that we'll see are like uh, mid seventies, um, upper seventies is getting pretty good. And to give you an idea of how we scale our score, so to speak, um, our score is based off of RMSSD, which people don't need to know exactly what that is um, to, uh, to get benefit out of it, but it's a, it's a popular metric when it comes to heart rate variability. And uh, but, it, but it gives you a score that's kind of like hard to understand because it doesn't exactly behave linearly um, and it's not like 1 to 100, which is a scale that people can understand. So we basically just um, convert RMSSD with a natural log and some scaling into a score uh, that's 1 to 100. And that's the score that you're talking about. Um, and, and some apps kind of just like... Multiply it by a seemingly arbitrary number, um, which is really um, some of the apps are more like one to 130. Um, so just to give you an idea, if if you're measuring on another app that uses RMSSD as their base, and your quote HRV score is like 10 to 20 points higher than it is on Elite HRV. That's because we scale ours to a true one to 100, and everyone, including our Olympic athletes, fits on that scale, whereas on other scales, potentially, people go above 100. Um, And so we just thought that it was a little bit more true to score, so to speak, um, to do it that way. The the problem is, (laughs) psychologically, Really, it's just a, a social kind of uh, issue, is because um, by kind of artificially increasing people's scores, it's, it's not artificially increasing on on other systems, uh, but by having that different scale, uh, uh, the majority of the audience is closer to 100, which kind of feels better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mentally, and, yeah. Uh, you know, mentally, like okay, if this is a one 100 and I'm you know in the 80s, then. That's probably pretty good, but then they don't really emphasize the fact that well, most of the elite athletes are above 100, or, or sometimes well above 100 on that scale. Versus on ours, they're definitely under 100 still. So, but so like the average score is 60 for us, mid 70s is a really good score. Um, some of our elite athletes are a little bit higher than that, but not much. Not not very many people get close to 90, um, on our platform.
2: Well, I think we could probably do a whole other podcast on starting a, an app based company and also, you know, running it and growing it. I, I would just love to know how you got started in this. What's the elite HRV story?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, um, I have a background in software design uh, and that's what I went to Texas A&M for, and uh, I did software uh, design for the oil and gas industry, uh, specifically implementing software that does a lot of data tracking, some complex data analysis. Um, and I, I did a lot of traveling; had a good success with that. Um, on the side, I was I'm a, a, <laughs> a professed health and fitness nut. Um, and I was a, a coach for several years, health coach and uh, and a fitness coach, personal trainer, and um, always I'm always just looking for ways to improve what I do, and I'm very interested in improving human performance and health. So over the years, uh, I dove really deep into nutrition, movement, exercises, all all the things that we've talked about here and there throughout the show. And I, I found, gosh, it's been uh, years now, five years or, or more, since I originally found heart rate variability. And at first I was just kind of like, hmm, this seems interesting. I, I understand a lot of the aspects that feed into this, but, uh, you know, what what could I use this for? So I, I started using it. Um, I purchased a, a more expensive system to start using it uh, myself and with some of my clients. And I was like, this is really cool. Um, but it, <laughs> I'm just very picky when it comes to software. Um, and I'm really big on user experience. And that was one of the, the things that I actually spoke about in my experience in the oil and gas industry. It was uh, designing Uh, data tracking systems for people who don't own computers at home Hmm. um, and who don't really like using the computer Uh, and so user experience was huge long story short I was like I think I can make a heart rate variability tracking system that is friendly to use but also includes all of the relevant science Um, and that was kind of the early days and we, we put it out there um, two and a half years ago and just put a free app out because I was mainly using it for myself and my clients um, but then a ton of people started downloading it and uh, I was still working in oil and gas at the time actually even though I was, I was already giving presentations at health conferences and things on heart rate variability um, from some of the research I had done um, but yeah, so it just kind of, whether I wanted it to or not, it was like, hey, this is going to be real. And it, it started growing, and we started getting some professional sports organizations. And, um, uh, you know, now we're over 60,000 users, and um, we quit our jobs. I say we, so my wife actually uh, is an engineer, and she co-owns the business and runs it with me. Um, she's definitely she's ten times smarter than I am, and is definitely the reason why HR, our Elite HRV is doing so well now. Um, but uh, <clears throat> at the end of 2014, we quit our oil and gas jobs and started working on Elite full time and and traveling the world. So uh, 2015, we were thirteen countries in thirteen months wow. while working. While working, that's yeah. a good uh, trial for how travel affects heart rate variability. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you making, Congratulations.
2: making a lot of people awesome. jealous
0: right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Jason, where can people find out more about you and Elite HRV? And then I know you have a course coming out very soon on HRV as well, right?
1: Yeah. So, uh, all the normal channels, EliteHRV.com, Facebook, Elite HRV, Twitter, Instagram. Um, we're on all of those. Um, we're also... Uh, Like you mentioned, coming out with a course at hrvcourse.com. So pretty straightforward as well. Um, And the course is we're really excited about. Actually, we're excited to be done with it too because it's a lot of work. But (laughs) uh, we're really excited about it because it's really in-depth on this stuff and explains the mechanisms in greater detail. We covered a lot of general stuff today. But if, if people are interested in diving in a little deeper on how it could help them. The course might be a really big help to them. And uh, it's also platform independent. So I just want to highlight that the course does not just go over Elite HRV. In fact, we don't talk about Elite HRV at all. And we collaborate with coaches and doctors on the creation of the content. And really, it's just to educate no matter what HRV software or hardware or whatever that you have how which numbers do you focus on when what do they mean how do you effectively use them Um, and so we even have other hrv um, platform owners that are excited about the course and they're going to be pointing people to it as well um, because it's a it's a good resource so hrvcourse.com for that one that's coming out uh, in a couple weeks actually That's awesome. awesome.
2: Yeah, we'll dive into that. Yeah, this has been
0: great. So much awesome information. And everybody out there, go download the app now as soon as you're done listening to the podcast and get yourself a heart rate strap. Start start testing the HRV. And if you have any questions, um, please don't hesitate to leave a comment in the comment section. And we'll put all of this information, as well as some uh, heart rate strap uh, recommendations, in the show notes. And uh, we hope to hear back from you and how your HRV readings are going. So go check out the app, Elite HRV. And Jason, thank you so much.
1: Yep, Jake, Josh, I appreciate your time and keeping up with my rambling. So hopefully there was a lot of uh, useful info for people, and I appreciate the opportunity.
2: That's great, man. Yeah, we Definitely. appreciate it. Keep uh, enjoying those travels, and if you ever make a stop back in the great state, let us know. Definitely will. All right, man, appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. All right. Thanks.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Two Fit Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Two Fit USA, the sports nutrition company owned and operated by the Two Fit Guys. To show our appreciation for you tuning into the podcast, we would like to give you a 10% off your entire order at TwoFitUSA.com. All of our products are sugar-free, paleo-friendly, gluten-free, non-GMO, and a whole list of other buzzwords. So hop on over to 2FitUSA.com. Don't forget to use your promo code FIT1, that's F-I-T-1, at checkout. We highly value and appreciate your feedback, so please leave a review about the products and the podcast at our website, 2FitUSA.com, under the podcast and Products pages. You can also leave a review on iTunes. Now, if we happen to read your review during one of our podcasts, you'll receive a one-month free subscription of all 2Fit products. So write something noteworthy. If not, we probably won't read it anyway. So go leave a review, listen to the next episode, and until next time.